I'm Natalie Walton, and this is Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. Each week, I'm here to share with you some of the biggest lessons I've learned during my career and life. Some of them I wish I'd learned a lot sooner because they would have saved me a huge amount of time, stress, and even money. Many of these ideas could have accelerated my journey as a creative and business owner. I also feature interviews with inspiring creatives, entrepreneurs, and experts to help you focus on what's most important in your life. Today, I'm going to interview interior stylist Kelly Baptiste of Pure Collected Living. Before we start today's episode, I want to let you know that I've created a free mini styling masterclass if you'd like to learn how to create beautiful interiors using what you've already got. I will run you through the principles of the art and science of styling so that you can create a home you love without making unnecessary mistakes or costly purchases. Plus, if you join me for this free training, I've also created a couple of bonuses for you. All you have to do is register at nataliewalton.com forward slash mini styling masterclass. That's nataliewalton.com forward slash mini styling masterclass. Now on with today's interview. Hello everyone, I hope you're all well. I'm really looking forward to sharing today's interview with you. It's actually with someone who I met through my course, the Styling Masterclass. She was a student and she's done the course many times over because when you enroll, you have lifetime access. So every time she the course runs again, she always participates and I love seeing what she creates because she's got a really beautiful eye and then one day I was really surprised to find out that she's actually competed in many Olympic Games as well. So I thought it'd be fun to find out more about her story. And I really encourage you to go and check out her Instagram page, which is at Pure Co Living. Anyway, let's get on with today's interview and I hope that you really enjoy it. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me today. We've had a few little technical issues getting audio, so it's so nice to actually be able to hear you and see you. Well, I could see you, but I just couldn't hear you. We're on completely different time zones at the moment. It is seven o'clock in the morning here in Byron Bay and five o'clock in the afternoon for you. I came across you obviously through my course, the Styling Masterclass, which you enrolled in a little while back. And um, I've always loved your work. and. Recently, you made a comment about um, training for the Olympics. And I thought, whoa, like you sort of an amazing stylist and do amazing with interiors. And then you've got this whole other side to you. So I thought it'd be fascinating to hear a little bit about more about your journey. But let's go right back to the beginning. Can you just tell me a little bit about your childhood, where you were born, where you grew up, your kind of, yeah, like those kind of early years and what type of person you were back then and and with if you were creative I mean you must have been a fast runner I'm presuming (laughs) yeah uh, I mean I actually had some time to think about some of the questions that you asked and it's funny um like I never really thought of myself of, of of being a creative at a young age when I really think back so I was born in Trinidad and Tobago and I was actually born in Tobago, which is a small of the islands. It's uh, close to Venezuela in the Caribbean. And my childhood, um, I, at the time, I didn't really consider myself creative. I listened to a lot of music. I would find myself daydreaming a lot. Um, but my father, he 
was a dancer and he would take me to his shows um, every weekend. And I was just fascinated with um, just the colors and the movements and just the energy of performing. You know, they would perform to tourists at hotels. And at one point in time, I thought this is what I wanted to do <laughs> once I grew up. Um, but yeah, I just remember um, growing up in the Caribbean on an island um, as a carefree kid, um, playing outdoors, um, daydreaming all the time. And that's what I really remember a lot about my childhood. And did you have brothers or sisters or were you an only child? I was an only child for 16 years and then my mom had my brother. So I grew up uh, as an only child, but I had cousins, um, which I was able to play with them and kind of grew up with them as quote unquote sisters, but it was my mom's uh, sister's uh, children. Yeah. Okay. And so then in those sort of teenage years where you're perhaps starting to think about what you might do once you finish school, where were you thinking at that point? Were you then already competing and, and had you already started to really get into athletics? Yeah, so um, we have primary school in the Caribbean. And so I remember we, we go into what is considered high school at 11. And I remember going into high school and just wanting to do something, being a part of something. And I tried netball. I tried tennis. I was in the choir. I think I was just a kid that just wanted to do something. Um, and eventually, the first year of school, we had our school sports. And I tried out. I wasn't that good. I got beat. But there was a close friend of mine who asked me if I wanted to come join a track club. And she was actually really good. So I was like, why not? And it was at that point that I joined a track club. And the a year later, I just kept getting better and better. And the rest is history in a lot of ways. But it was one night, once I went to high school, I joined the track and field club and just started training on evenings after, high, uh, after school. Yeah. And was that then like every evening or like how often would you be training in those kind of high school years? So at first um, it was three days a week. And then once I started making national junior teams, uh, my coach uh, switched me to four days a week. So it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, I would walk from school to practice. We practice on a grass track. And um, in a lot of ways, uh, it was more of like a social thing because I was an only child. Um, practice was the place where I can go hang out with my friends um, and just, you know, socialize. And eventually, as I got better and as it got more serious, um, you know, well, at that point in time, when I started making junior teams, I realized that I had a talent and this was something that I can do and possibly get a scholarship. And that's when my coach and I started taking it seriously. Yeah. And so then what what did happen then? Is that what you did? You got a scholarship and went to college or did you just go professional as an athlete? How, what was that transition like? So I um, got a scholarship in 2004. I actually made my first Olympic team at 17. Wow. As part of my country's relay team. And while I was there, um, a coach from Louisiana State University came up to me and asked me if I wanted to come to their school. Um, they took me on a visit the next, I think it was off the fall of 2004. I went to LSU's campus. It was my first time to the United States. And I loved the environment. Um, something about it I was just drawn to. And the spring of 2005, I 
went to LSU on a track and field scholarship. Wow. And I mean, what was that like? So that was your first time going to the US. I've yeah. never been to Louisiana. Is that similar climate or is it, I mean, was it like going to another world? How, what was that like <laughs> for you? <laughs> you know, what's so funny. It wasn't totally different because I think when it comes to sports and sports teams, like for me, there was a lot of other Caribbean people on the team and I met them. So they made me feel very comfortable. The only difference I would say was the temperature sometimes in the fall being cold. I remember my first year of uh, my first semester of class, I didn't go to my class at seven o'clock in the morning because it was the first time in like several years it decided to snow in Louisiana and it was so cold and I had a seven <laughs> class and I just couldn't get myself to get up out of bed to make it to class. But besides the temperature um, in the fall, it wasn't that much different because it was still a sense of normalcy and familiarity with just the people that I was around. So there was a t the team was made up of people from Grenada, Jamaica, and all over the Caribbean, including U.S. athletes. So I think that part of it made me comfortable. And there were two coaches that were Jamaican. So there was a bit of familiarity there that it didn't feel too strange from, you know, coming from the Caribbean. Okay. And I have to ask, I mean, what is it like to compete in an Olympic Games? Like, that's just just crazy next level um it's funny enough i one of my vivid memories of the olympic games is kathy freeman um from okay. australia i remember watching her competing as a young girl and the lights and the cameras and looking at her in the overall hoodie and just the adoration that um, Australia had for her when she won Olympic gold in the 400. Something about that just connected with me. And I think that is a feeling that every Olympic athlete just cherishes. You walk onto the track and everyone is screaming, cameras are flashing, and you know, like, this is the only moment that you have to, like, make something happen. And it's just something about that one moment that's exciting. And knowing that in some way, like you're inspiring someone, especially from for myself from a, young, a smaller country. Um, at the time, when I competed in my third Olympic Games, it was 2012. I made the final and I got sixth in the hundred, and I became the first female from my country to ever make a final in any event. And little things like that, knowing that you're impacting someone and hopefully impacting that person to become something. It doesn't even have to be track and field. I think for me, I, I carry that with me every time I compete. Um, so I think it's a mix of emotions, a mix of feelings because you're, it's personal, but at the same time, it, it's about your country and it's about the atmosphere and the crowd and just having the opportunity to do something that in a way, very few people get the chance to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you, as you were saying all that, and when you said about Kathy Freeman, I, I mean, I kind of, I feel, you know, emotional just remembering it. I remember it yeah. so vividly. And um, I mean, I'm one of those people that I will cry <laughs> to somebody competing, you know, like if I say, so I get so emotional with those things. And yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's it's so powerful, isn't it? I mean, you must have had like a pretty good, um, been in a pretty good headspace though to carry all of that. Is that something that you had to work on or do you think that you had that sort of, I guess, belief in yourself, but also that you could 
withstand the pressure and and that side of it as well? It's, I think I am, you know, one of my, I think, um, assets, like strong points as an athlete is my mental toughness. But I think it's still an area, like you, ha- especially my event, which is 100. I mean, there are eight other girls that are as fast as you and you have to be tough. And I think I, I do have the mental capacity to, kind of put that off to the side. And I mean, along with, you know, I work with a sports psychologist and you do these things every day in training so that once you get out on the line to compete, you know how to block everything out and zone in and focus. But at the same time, I think each time I, so I've been to four Olympic games and each time I have, you know, participated in, in, in one, it made me more comfortable and confident in understanding that like I can be there and compete well and it it wasn't like unfamiliar. Um it's it's a strange thing to describe because I feel like a lot of athletes deal with um self-confidence. And I would say that I was one of those people that it took me a while to really feel like I belonged. Um <laughs> on that stage even though I've accomplished a lot of things I I just think it's this journey of you know wondering did have I done enough am I enough like am I as good as this person like even though you've done all the work those things still play in your mind on top of knowing that your entire country is looking at you through the tv screen and expecting you to do all these things but I mean in the moment I don't think about all of that stuff but definitely I think Leading up to it, um, you know, I try to do things to not overwhelm myself, like probably wouldn't be on social media a lot and just getting a lot of outside noise. I try to um, just distance myself from that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, I've got to ask this as well. So you say you you went to college, you're on a scholarship. And you were kind of, you've obviously competed. Did you compete in an Olympic Games while you were at college as well? So or... I competed in one before I went. I competed in one the year when I finished college. So 2008 was my last year as a collegiate athlete. And that same year I competed in Beijing. Um, and so I was done with college then. And then four years after that, which is 2012, I competed in the London Olympic Games. And then after that, I competed in 2016 games in Rio and Tokyo never happened. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So are you then a professional athlete? Do you, how do you pay your bills? And so, you know, like, are you, <laughs> does the, does your government subsidize you or is it sponsorship? Like, how do you make a, you know, how are you supporting yourself yeah. during this? <laughs> Sorry, I'm always very practical. Yeah, people always do you know. By the way, do you know? Um, it is so horrible that I can't remember her name. Sally Pearson is an yeah, Australian. I, yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So she's sponsored by Adidas, and it's right. pretty much the same thing. Adidas is my sponsor, and most athletes. That's how you make a living. You get contracted by a shoe company, and um, outside of that, we have a lot of our meets in Europe. And you win prize money uh, uh, for okay. first, eighth, and that usually we have those meets from March till about September, and that's how most people make a living in track and field. 
Okay. All right. I'm glad that I got that color right because I'm like, you know, it's one thing to sort of have this beautiful idea about wanting to compete yeah. in the Olympic Games, but you know, we all have to pay our bills, don't we? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so then, how on earth do you go from doing all this to ending up in my styling masterclass? Like, how you know, when did this side of your personality start to come through? This kind of wanting to make a home. I. It, this was actually 2016. I was probably one of the only people that I knew that didn't have an Instagram. And I decided to join Instagram in 2016. And after joining, I started following home decor accounts. And that just led me to, I mean, I was already in a home, but I don't really think that I paid that much attention to decorating. I was always someone who like, I gravitated to like minimalist stuff. Like I didn't really have a lot of stuff I like modern minimalist clean lines and I had like basic things but I never really like created a home if that makes sense um and just from joining Instagram I decided to start you know um styling spaces in my home and found that I loved it and decided that I wanted to share and somehow I was following an account that was taking your class and I was like you know what I think I'm always a person that even in my career like I seek out the best coach or the best nutritionist or whatever and I'm like if I really want to know how to do this then I want to learn from someone who has a wealth of experience and the odd thing was that I had your book as a coffee table book I had read it and when this person said that she was taking Natalie Walton's class I'm like oh my god like this is it I have to sign up <laughs> and that's how I ended up there that's so funny <laughs> I'm again, like really interested, and this is the stuff that really fascinates me is, so you said that you're really drawn to the sort of simple lines and minimal spaces. How does that compare to the type of home that you grew up in? Because I'm always curious, like, is that you kind of, I think people either go completely against or there's threads in their past that really inform their their tastes and what they're into going forward or you might have been exposed to something in those formative years that informed that like where do you think it came from this this interest and this sort of attraction to simplicity I think if you grew up in Tobago which I know everyone is not like that Tobago is a really small island really small island the pace is very slow um we don't really have sky skyrise buildings it's more um coastal in nature um have you ever been to sorry to interrupt mm -hmm. have you ever been to fiji i have not ah okay i'm just wondering if it's a bit like fiji in that sort of way I, I i would say that because so trinidad and tobago is a twin island so it's two different islands but it's run by one government and so trinidad is considered like the city um, where, you know, most people would come to do business, but then Tobago is where like most tourists, you know, come, our airport is really small. We still fly propeller planes um, there. So it's really, truly an island. And I think that has a lot to do with it. I think also my mom was very, um, she loves neutrals. Like I've never seen my mom in color ever. And I think that rubbed <laughs> off on me a lot. And so I do think just the slow laid back vibe of how I grew up on an island coupled with just the desire to, I don't know, like the 
the lack of color for lack of a better word because it is color but my mom just always like I love khakis I love browns and taupes and growing up I thought that was boring but now I understand like it was just uh an inkling for me as to you know where I would lean in terms of like my style and design yeah and um was that unusual for your mom to sort of be into neutrals like was again like you know my comparison is say somewhere like Fiji where a lot of people they wear very colorful like sarongs and and that kind of thing like do people generally um where is it a colorful country or it's very it's... colorful it was just, yeah. it was just my mom like my mom is you know i i think back then people would consider her to be plain but it was she just is a very simple person in every single respect like you know she she likes neutral colors she doesn't really do too much to her hair she doesn't really wear makeup my mom is like the simplest person in a good way that i know and i really think that you know my love of neutrals and simplicity i really got that from her because she just led her life in a way that was very simple she didn't overcomplicate things and it was just apparent in like every single area of her life yeah yeah okay well that's interesting so how did you then end up in Miami. So you're not in Miami, but you're in Florida, right? Yeah, I'm in Orlando. Right. And so how did you end up there? So after I graduated in 2008 from LSU, um, I spent one year in Louisiana and my agent um, suggested that I, you know, if I really wanted to achieve some of the goals that, you know, I had that he thinks that I should find another trainer. And you can't, well, my coach currently, which is where I've moved, he was the coach of the 2000 and, well, the Olympic champion in 04 and 08 and several other Olympic medalists. And I was, it was a no brainer. And so <laughs> I decided to move to Florida because of my coach. Okay. What, um, so when you were looking for a home, what sort of home were you looking for? Like what, what's kind of, what are the style of homes in that, that particular area? Um, it's, Funny because I I actually moved into my, this is my second home, but I, the first home that I moved to, I love the Spanish exterior, um, barrel tile roofs, and there weren't necessarily any homes here with, I would say, quote unquote, modern architecture. But for me, it was just finding a home with a little bit of character. So my first home had a lot of arches, it had wood floors. Um, there were a lot of things that I gravitated to towards that. But then when I moved into the second home, I think um, the lighting was important to me. And so the, the architecture of this home is very, it's more contemporary than my previous home. It still has the barrel tile roof, but I feel like it maximizes light a lot more than the home, the previous home that I was in. And I'm learning as I've gone on this journey with home decor and styling that just in general with my well-being and how I operate that I love light and that's really it comes down to that when I'm looking for a space or a home it's just the lighting and you know how much light I get during the day in a space yeah so I have this other little theory about homes is that one of the things that I've noticed because obviously I've done a couple of books now and the funny thing is that many of the people who are in my books are people who aren't actually originally from that area. And so it's like the home becomes more important because you're not 
home in the traditional yeah. sense. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if you think that's true for you, that because you're not, you know, back in Tobago, that it's like your home is really important. It, it's a space that sort of meets your needs and, and you need to make it feel good for you. It, would you say that's true for you? I think that's true, even though I've never actually thought about it that, that way. I think for a long time, I felt like, you know, home, my house was this place where I escaped after practice and it needed to function in a way that I was comfortable and I enjoyed being in it because outside of the four or five hours a day I'm at the track, I mean, this is where I spend most of my time. And so I think I tried to optimize it in a way that was appealing to me, that I liked being in it. But I actually, I, I do think that because this is home in a lot of ways, I mean, I grew up here, you know, like I left home at 17 and this is home. Like I don't really know anywhere else in a way. And so I, I think I do optimize it in that way because I mean, I'm not, I don't get a chance. I go home maybe once a year, but it's not the same. It's like I'm visiting so this is, you know, home. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And you, again, like you've got this really simple aesthetic. What are your thoughts on clutter and that sort of thing? That's something that a lot of people struggle with. And I mean, certainly looking at the photos that you share, like that doesn't seem to be an issue for you, but is that something that you have to work through or you're just really clear that you don't like clutter and you don't even go anywhere near that? I still work through it in the sense of organizing so I don't like clutter at all and I think I'm that person that I try to avoid buying things unnecessarily especially when it comes to home decor because I've actually I actually was thinking about this the other day that clutter has nothing to do with necessarily organization it's just sometimes having too much stuff so yet you can organize all you want but if you're still buying things it's going to accumulate and, you know, I don't like clutter. I try to keep my spaces clutter-free. I have a stash room, which <laughs> you'd be horrified to go in. But for the <laughs> most part, I, I like a clean space. I think for me, clutter affects so many things. Just thinking, um, it's, I can easily get frustrated being in, in the house and seeing stuff on the counter and feeling like it, I don't want it in my sight. Um, and it's funny cause I live with my partner and, you know, it's probably where that I, I don't really pick, pick up after him. He may leave just to see like an, a headphone on the Island and I would walk and like put it, tuck it in a corner somewhere. Cause for me, it's visual clutter for me is just something that I don't know. Like my mental headspace needs, um, just like clarity and space and openness. And I think that it's probably reflected a lot in my, the way I style. And sometimes that's weird because, you know, I'm always asking myself, is that enough? Like, is it, you know, does it need something more? But it's funny that I think since taking your class that I've grown to appreciate just, you know, owning what I do and understanding that, you know, if I take away something and, the image or the scene is fine and it's obviously shouldn't have been there to begin with and i i think just taking your class has given me a greater appreciation for styling in a simple way even though i feel like you you don't necessarily preach you have to style that way but definitely it has really helped me to just appreciate the way that i style 
That's really nice to hear. Thank you. Um, So what about, I mean, again, like this is one of the things I I sort of mentioned to you before we hit record, but this idea of do you think there are some similarities or any overlaps between the mental headspace or the dedication or whatever it is that you have from being in athletics and that kind of single pursuit of something and also creating a home and creating this space that's really simple and focused? Like, do you think that there's, they kind of go in hand in hand or there's a bit of an overlap there? I think so. I think that, especially again, for my event, the hundred, it lasts between 11 to 10 seconds and everything is about precision and making sure like each step is a certain way and everything is in sync. And I think for me, um, coming into the world of interiors, I think that I've I've brought that with me. And sometimes I feel like <laughs> on one hand, I can be too perfectionistic, which that's something I've always worked through. And even in my career, it's just trying to reach perfection, which doesn't actually exist. And so I do think that um, the precision aspect of it, like, you know, if I'm taking an image, um, looking through the viewfinder and looking for the smallest of errors and in a way that's good, I know, but sometimes I think that I can loosen up and just understand that, you know, perfection doesn't exist and you just get better as you go and not to overthink things. But I, I do think that the, the attribute of just being precise with everything is the overlap that I would see, you know, training for my event and, you know, styling, um, you know, the have in common. Yeah. Okay. And so what about now? Like, do you want to do this um, or have you done it professionally? Well, you know, for any clients, the styling and interiors, is that something that you want to go more into? I do. And I think sometimes I struggle with actually what I want to do. Um, I do know I want to work with photography and styling. Um, I have been advertising interior design services, but I feel that's a whole another world of information and um work not really work but learning that comes with that you know and I have worked with one client in helping her style not style design her living room and it was fun it was nice I enjoyed it um and I've had several consultations with people wanting to do design work but I really love the aspect of styling and photography and I I don't really know where that fits into doing it as a profession when I'm done but you know I'm very open to you know whatever opportunity I think that aligns with those two things Um, yeah yeah and and actually that was something that I did want to mention is that not only do you style beautifully but you take really beautiful photos as well did you take a course for that as well or is that self-taught did not take a course a lot of youtube a lot of crappy photos (laughs) a lot of yeah a lot of youtube a lot of crappy photos i think um i took like one or two courses online um and i'm trying to remember what they were but it wasn't anything maybe like a one day course or something um i just can't remember doing anything extensive like an you know it was more of understand the basics of a camera more like that um and from there i just you know i i think i read a book by chase jarvis he's a photographer i think it's called 
oh man I can't believe I can't remember it but that's anyway, okay I can I'll yeah. look it up and add it to the show notes yeah he keeps talking about just putting in the reps and doing it over and over again like your first thousand images are going to be terrible and you just have to keep taking photos and taking photos and eventually you know you you just get better at it and I think once I understood that and I think it's the same thing with styling that you just keep doing it and doing it and eventually you look up and you have a good image or you have a pretty styled space yeah yeah okay so um now I want to ask you a few other questions that um I often have at the end of this podcast and they were ones that I had a, on a blog called Daily Imprint so the first question is often the hardest unfortunately <laughs> everyone struggles with this but I do think it's really insightful so that's why I continue to torture people with it um so which five words best describe you? <laughs> Simple, um, curious, homebody, determined, dreamer. Great. What's the best <laughs> life or career lesson you've learned? Man, um, that I am enough you know, whatever that may be, I, I'm good enough. I, um, yeah, I think just knowing that you're enough in whatever situation and not, you know, comparing or searching outside of yourself for, um, validation. Yeah. I think that's one of the big ones for me. What's your proudest career achievement? <laughs> um, Definitely, I would say um, I want, I got third in 2011 at the World Championships in Daegu, South Korea. I would say that was definitely my proudest moment. I mean, I think I was the only person on the podium crying and I got third in the first place and the second place person just were there. But um, <laughs> I think I never in a million years, even though I had dreamt of doing so, you know, earning a med I just never thought that it would be me you know you know being from a small island and never having anyone in my country do it um definitely it was a huge moment for me yeah to be I, I this is a bit of a random thing but I mean are you kind of well known within your country like are you sort of I don't I don't know like you know different countries have like some countries are obsessed with sports and like you know yeah, I mean, I would say so. It's, I mean, it's funny because you're like talking about yourself. But yeah, I mean, when I got third in 2011, I came home and there was like a motorcade, motorcade and serenade at the airport. And I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm well known. It's, I guess I just don't like talking about it. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 I know. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's just curious because I've kind of found you by a very different path. <laughs> <laughs> it's just in interesting to know um what's been your best decision wow um that's a that's a tough one um I would say choosing the school I went to yeah I, I think I always think of what if I had gone to another university because I actually remember UCLA offered me a scholarship and something happened to where like the 
chain of communication broke and I thought that they weren't interested anymore. And so that was one of the reasons why I went to Louisiana anyway. And when I looked back at the performances of the people who went there, they didn't perform that well. And so I, yeah, I think the decision to go to the school I went to was probably one of the best decisions I've made because it literally changed my life um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Who inspires you? Uh, a lot of people inspire me. Um, it's not just one person I would say, but definitely my mom. Um, my mom raised me, um, making a lot of sacrifices. And so I think just her not, like, I don't think my mom ever thought that I was gonna be an Olympian in a sport and do all these things. I, she always preached education and making sure I did well in school. And she made a lot of sacrifices to send me to school, you know, financially and everything like that. And so I think that I'm very inspired by my mom, just, you know, not knowing where I was going to be, you know, but just doing the best that she could. I, I really admire my mom for that. I read a lot of books and so I admire some of the authors that I read their books from. Um, and I actually admire a lot, uh, Brooke Castillo. Um, I started listening to the life course, life course school podcast in, I want to say three years ago and just the way she encourages whoever's listening to dream big, have impossible goals. Um, the way she speaks about finances and just achieving whatever it is that you want to. I think that's really inspiring for me, especially um, being in sport as long as I have and um, sometimes struggling with defining goals and, you know, wondering if you can still do it because you're aging and things of that sort. Um, uh, I think definitely her podcasts have inspired me a lot in um, not putting too much into limitations. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I listen to them too. And I, I think that, um, yeah, they're really, really great. There's lots of good value in there. What are you passionate about? Uh, living life authentically, I would say. Um, yeah. I would say living life fully and authentically, understanding that, you know, we, I'm not here forever, no one is. And the little things that can annoy you or things like wondering what other people think and allowing those things impact your decision-making. I have grown to just understand that, you know, I'm not gonna be here forever and I should live my life in a way that's very authentic to me. And I'm passionate about others also living a life that's authentic to them as well. Yeah. What dream do you still want to fulfill? <laughs> um, I still want to win an Olympic medal in an individual event. Yep, you can do it. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> if that's if there is an Olympic Games. <laughs> yeah. We've just got that small problem at the moment, don't we? <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Um, what are you reading at the moment? I am reading a book by Pema Choden, and I think I just butchered her name. I know who but, you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the book, which is unfortunate. And I, I said that like three times during this interview about <laughs> books. But yeah, I'm currently reading that book. Um, That's okay. You can just email me afterwards and send yeah, me the details. Yeah, I do that. But I'm reading that, and it's a small book with. I've only read like read like chapter one so far. But I'm reading that and actually not reading, but I've listened to Atomic Habits and really enjoyed that. It was amazing. But yeah. Yeah. I I recently just finished that as well. There was lots of underlining. I did it as a as a physical book and lots of asterisks and underlining. Um and you know, I mean, often these things are sort of things that you know deep within yourself, yeah. but it's good to be reminded of it. So that's um yeah I got a lot out of that particular book. Okay, what about what are you listening to at the moment? Uh, podcasts. I mean, you mentioned um, the Life Coach School, but are you listening to any other ones? Yeah, I listen to the Minimalist with um, the Minimalist podcast with Ryan and Josh. Um, hope I didn't butcher their names. Um, I listen to man. Why can I remember this? It's a podcast where this guy reads blogs and they're literally like five, five minutes long. They don't take that long, but oh, optimal living daily. Oh my gosh. Like, well, I'm having <laughs> um, the minimalists and a well-designed business. Actually, it's by Luan Nagara and she owns like a window covering business and she gives and she has designers on the podcast who talk about, you know, how they do certain things in their business and just give like tips about literally how, how to run a design business. And I find it, I found it actually really helpful. Okay. I haven't heard of that one before. I'll have to check that out. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and what advice would you give to your younger self? Uh, I think it's just going back to I'm enough, like at whatever point, at whatever stage that I, I, would have been, you know, whether that was at 11 years old, going into high school, going to my first Olympic games, um, just in every single situation, understanding that I, I am enough. And that is probably the single most thing that I feel like I would tell my younger self that you are enough. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me across crazy time zones and technology issues, but we got there and it's been so interesting to hear a little bit more about your story. And um, I hope that those Olympic games start to happen again for you. But but I really encourage anyone to, to look at your Instagram page. I will ask you actually quickly just before we go, because I do think you have a really beautiful page on Instagram. And you, I know you said you were a little bit late coming to it, but I'll sneak in this question. Um, what I mean, how how do you use Instagram and and what do you like? What do you think find works for you in terms of how you share, how you show up, um, how, yeah, how you've built your kind of following and and what you get out of it as well I guess yeah I think um I use I try to use Instagram I, when I first started I used it in a very 
social way. So I would say I would go on and scroll and not really interact. That's not even really social, but just consuming. I would go on, I would scroll. Um, and then once I started wanting to publish my work, I somehow just started commenting on people's um, posts and we became, you, you just find those commu that community of people that they comment on your stuff, you comment on their stuff. And over time it, it grows. And for me, I, you know, I go on Instagram and I try to comment on those people that, you know, I've, I know, or like if it's someone new, I still comment, but there's a core group of people that I've always liked their work or just like them as people since I started. And I try to comment on their things all the time and they comment on mine. And I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram because I think when it comes to creating and being original, <laughs> um, it's sometimes difficult to just consume other people's work because it kind of influences sometimes what you do. Um, and I feel like sometimes a healthy dose of distance from the app is good. And so I don't really post a lot, which I know that's kind of controversial, but I do try my best to show up every week because I think there's something about showing up and being there. Um, even if I'm not posting something, I try to show up and interact with other people's posts. And I actually genuinely care about the people that I comment on. So I would say for anyone trying to grow a following or, you know, grow their page, just show up. Uh, if you're not posting, try to comment other people's things consistently in a genuine way. Don't just do it so that they can comment back on your stuff. Um, but yeah, just showing up and posting and commenting other people's images. And I mean, I do use a photo plan. I use a color story to kind of curate my grid because my perfectionist brain won't allow me to just <laughs> post without knowing what it's going to look like. But um, which yeah, app do you use? A color story. Oh, that's what it's called, is it? I haven't heard of that one. Okay. Yes. Yeah. A good one for people to check out. You can edit on it, but I just use use it for the to like see my grid. That's all. Yeah, yeah. And um, okay, let's get a little bit technical. So, what do you do? Do you use filters? I don't use filters, but I do edit my photos in Lightroom. Um, I feel like I'm still pretty basic at Lightroom, but the Lightroom has the app and um, on your phone that you can do it there. But I usually like to edit on the computer for me because I can to me I can see more. Um, but I take my photos with a camera. I don't use my iPhone ever because I actually think they come out horrible when I use my phone. So <laughs> I'm always taking photos with my camera. And okay. So I, what 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 camera have you got? Do you know? Can you recall offhand? I have a Canon Mark IV, 5D Mark IV, and I have a 24 to 70, I think it is, millimeter lens. I mean, that's, I use that most of the time and I have a wide angle one that I rarely ever use, but, um, I first had a Sony that I, a Sony a seven that it was just too technical for me and switched to Canon and it was the easiest thing ever. So I use a, a Canon 5D Mark IV with a 24 to 70 millimeter lens and I take images on that. Do you shoot manual? I do. I do. Oh. I, 
<laughs> I don't know how to shoot any other way. That's going back to the class I took. It was just learning how to use my camera manually because, you know, all the advice I would say that I saw online with really good photographers were then telling you that it, it, you have to shoot in manual if you want kind of like creative control over your images and shooting any other way just it, it doesn't give you that creative freedom and so for me learning to shoot in manual was you know a no-brainer in in that sense it took some time to learn learning about iso and f-stops and all of that can be confusing but i think once i did it over a period of time it became pretty easy and i think now i'm learning to just getting to the point where i'm learning to not over edit because you can kind of lean to that side as well. And I don't particularly like a over-edited picture. I think I was one of those people when I first started Instagram, all my pictures were blown out, like so white. And over time, I kind of learned that like, it's okay to have some shadows and depth in my photos. And I kind of strayed away from having my images like way too blown out. So so what do you, when you use Lightroom, again, I'm going to get really techie, <laughs> Yeah. But what do you do? Do you bump up your exposure a bit? Do you desaturate a little bit? What do you do? So what do you usually play with? I go in and I, the first thing I do is try to straighten my image because as much as I try to do it straight through the camera, I mean, it's straight, but I feel like it's not as precise. So I straighten my image and I actually move directly to, I think it's, um, it's the panel. No, I do. Sorry. Selective edits. That's all I do. I don't really touch the exposure. I don't bump it up. I don't do anything to that. I do a lot of selective editing. It's where you use like, it's like a circular tool and you can invert some of the, um, you could invert it to where you're only editing like one portion of the image while everything else stays the same. So I've only started doing that the last year or so. And I, for me, I personally found that if I just do that without anything else, my images come out the way that I like it. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly where that is in the Lightroom um, app, but there's somewhere on it that says selective edits. And when I usually take an image out of the camera, it's already bright enough in some sense. And if I want to brighten it some more, I use like the linear selective tool where it it brightens the photo in like gradients. So it's not just like, how do I explain that? It brightens it in layers. So it's not too like obvious that one part of the photo, part of the photo is like super bright or the entire photo is super bright. It gives it more depth in a way. That's the only way I can explain it. But I don't do anything to the, I don't use the exposure um, button. I don't use every, the best way to put it is that every the way I edit, I just use the selective edits tool to do everything. Um, and if I do want to play with the colors, I use um, I do the where you select each color and you kind of bump it up or you take it down um, individually. I do that, but I don't really use any other tool but the selective edits. It's funny that now that I think about it, that's really all that I do. And have you been self-taught with that or did you do a course on Lightroom? I self-taught, well, I wouldn't say self-taught. I think I took, I think I took Beth Kirby, who is a food photographer. Oh, yeah. She had a course. 
I don't know exactly. I think it was about maybe Instagram or something else. And it, part of the course had something to do with photography, which she was the person, the first person that I saw that used the camera that I have. And she re recommended that camera with the lens. And when she was showing us how to edit, it was how she edits. She spoke about the selective tool. And from there, I just, a lot of YouTube and trial and error for me personally, and realizing that for me, like, I just like using the selective edits tool um, to do most of my editing. Um, to yeah. me, for me, it keeps the picture as close to natural in my mind as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely encourage everyone to go and check out your Instagram account because it really is beautiful. It's um, pure co-living, but is there an underscore in there somewhere? If no, just, yeah, pure yeah. co-living. Yeah, but I will link to all of this in the show notes as well as all the books that Kelly can't quite remember. <laughs> like, I don't know why I have like a brain fart when it comes to that, but yeah. That's okay. I mean, I was going to say, you know, it's early in the morning for me, but not for you. So I don't, you don't have that excuse, but maybe. Between <laughs> the technical difficulties and my excitement about coming on a podcast. And funny enough, I was just, before I came on, I was doing a shoot for a collaboration that I'm doing. And so it was like doing that to come in here and having the technical difficulties to being excited. I think it's just all that that has me like, yeah, bread, bread <laughs> over here. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you so much for your time. And um, I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to share this interview with everyone. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Natalie. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye. All right, everyone, I hope you've enjoyed this interview. I'd love to know what you think. So please write a review wherever you're listening to this podcast today and also subscribe and spread the love on Instagram. You'll find show notes for this episode at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast forward slash 23 because this is episode 23. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast and the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded. Thanks again for joining me today. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint. Imprint.